Before we get to this week's episode, let me ask that you make a donation to the Pulse Victims Fund for the victims and families affected by the shooting in Orlando this weekend. The address is www.gofundme.com slash Pulse Victims Fund. That's P-U-L-S-E-V-I-C-T-I-M-S-F-U-N-D. Thank you. The, the pain got too, too great one night, so I drove her to the hospital, and we sat there for like what seemed like forever, and then we went in, and it was finally around, I want to say, like two or three in the morning, because they were, they were gearing up to like run a bunch of tests on her, and then they came back, and just very matter-of-factly, the, woman, the, the nurse said, well, we can't run this test on you, and she said, well, why not? And she goes, because you're pregnant. That was it. That was how she announced it. So there was a lot of, holy shit. Um, that was like the initial reaction. Um, and then because it was three in the morning, she, after about an hour convinced me she, cause she had to stay overnight. She said, you go home, rest up, come back in the morning. So when I woke up in the morning, you know, she called and told me, uh, it's not a viable pregnancy. Pat Barker had a tragedy in his personal life. Then all of his friends made fun of him for it in public. On this episode, find out why that was the luckiest thing that ever happened to him. I'm David Taylor, and this is Until I Lose Interest. Pat Barker, how are we doing? I'm doing great. How are you? It's very exciting. Very exciting to have you on. Uh, I met you doing the roast battle. Yep. How long have you been in L.A.? Almost three years now. Okay. Which is a little longer than I thought. And you, uh, how long have you been doing the roast battles? About a year and a half. Yes. Now you, uh, for those who don't know, Tuesday night, belly room. You are in the haters table with Earl Skakel. Uh, I do that occasionally. Yeah. We, we have sort of like a rotating second spot on that haters table. Yes. And that started off as, uh, were you part of it when it was the racist table? No, I was a fan of it when it was the racist table. Well, we all table. were a fan of it when it was the <laughs> racist table. They, uh, it was just... Earl was doing an impression of our former talent coordinator, Tommy Morris, at first. And then he stopped doing the Tommy voice and just stayed racist. And then I think what happened was they said, if we want this to be on television, you can't do that anymore. Well, my my understanding uh, was it used to be called the House Racist. And there was a sign that said House Racist. Yeah. And then people got upset about that. So they changed it to House Haters and literally changed none of the content. Earl kept doing the exact same character. They just changed the sign. And that was enough to get people, you know, off their backs. But now I feel like, yeah, with TV, I, I, I don't know how that's going to play well, out. I don't think they're going to have it on that's television. what I'm I mean, hearing. That's, that's the solution yeah. to it. Uh, so, which is disappointing because it was so fucking funny. And Earl needs the break. But Earl is more deserving of the break with that show than anybody. He's, he, he's put in more more man hours other than Moses. He's put in more time to he that definitely show. has. He's just, I guess, going to have to cry on his inheritance from the Kennedys. <laughs> life isn't fair. He'll be OK. Like, no, life. Life is not fair. So you you've been out here for three years. You worked in a warehouse. Yeah. When I moved out here, I was a CVS manager and I, uh, I took a transfer when I moved out here. Yeah. Uh, I did that for a few months and then it wasn't a good situation. I had to get out and uh, I got a job at a warehouse and I did that for a little bit over a year and then I got fired. Okay. Uh, and then I was a full-time Uber driver for a little bit over a year. So I've done a little bit of everything. You, uh, you drove Uber. Yes. 
Did you, you get a new car for that? I, when I started, I had an 05 Camry, uh, and I used that for the first... Um, I thought they weren't, you weren't allowed to use... They old. changed the rules uh, in the middle of my Uber tenure, okay. um, which I was coming up on 200,000 miles anyway, and then they sent an email saying, hey, we're upgrading our standards. So at that point, I just bit the bullet and upgraded to a 2014 Prius, and yeah. uh, I drove that for a while. Did you get anybody disturbing driving around an Uber? Cause oh, yeah. Ubers, I think the, there are two types of people. The people who drive the Ubers and the people who ride in Ubers. Both of them can be crazy. For sure. I mean, statistically speaking, like I did 6,000 rides. Really? So like who, you're, yeah. Out of the 6,000 rides, craziest person you met? Uh, one of my last ones. I, I would say ride 5930 or somewhere in that. Uh, I picked up a guy and he was crazy. He was crying. It was two o'clock in the morning and I picked him up and he had had uh, a fight with his friends um, and he was very intoxicated and he wanted to end the Uber ride almost immediately so he could drive. But I said, you know, that's not a good idea. So I talked him into taking the Uber because driving wasn't a good idea. And uh, we had to go from West Hollywood to like way up in the valley, like, like Silmar or something. So we're on the freeway doing like 70, 75, and he is just bawling, bawling, crying. And then Adele came on the radio and he started singing along while crying. Quick question. Uh, How gay is this guy? Super gay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine the gayest person you know and then like multiply it by 100. Yeah. Um, And like all of that was just like, it was kind of entertaining, you know? But then he got to a weird point where he was like laying down on the back seat and trying to kick my window out. Okay. While I'm, you know, on the, I, there's nothing I could do. Like I'm on the freeway and then he, uh, what's your solution to this? Do you pull over? Do you say, Hey, don't do that. I said, Hey, don't do that. I'll change the station. Um, you know, he was enjoying the music okay. very much. Um, yeah, that was the, the only time because people, you know, generally I didn't, uh, you know, I'm, I felt like I was in the customer service industry. So you, you tend to go with the customer is always right. Except when they're kicking your window. So, you know, I, I, I turned around and I, I was like, don't do that, man. You're like, you can't, you can't do that. And he was like, fine, I, I won't. No, first he was like, I'm not kicking your window. And I'm like, yeah, I, you know, you are. And then the weirdest thing was as we got close, he just, he sat up and he was like, I'm sorry. He's like, I'm just, he's like, I'm just mad at my friends. And he reached up and he took two fingers, his index and his middle finger and just put them on my neck. Like he was checking my pulse. Okay. It was the only time like a passenger ever touched me. And I just, I freaked out. I was like, don't fucking touch me. You're not, don't ever fucking touch me again. You're not allowed to do that. And like, he just started screaming. He was like, let me out, let me out. Like we were, you know, again on the freeway and it was really bad. And I finally got him to his place. I had my phone because I never had a camera in the car, which I I regret. I should have. I had my phone recording the audio at that point because I'm like, I need something. Um, And when we got to his place, uh, he apologized and I believe that he was sincere and he, you know, shook my hand and, and everything like that. And he's like, you probably think I'm an asshole. And I'm like, well, you know, yeah. And, uh, he went on his merry way and I said, I can't do this much longer. That was the one where I was like, I, this is, that was the first time I ever felt like uncomfortable or threatened. Nobody pukes in your car. Nobody I had one puker, you. one puker, one time. It was a great moneymaker. Because, oh, you get extra money for that, sure don't do. you? Yeah. That's, uh, I read about one Uber driver who just lied, who who would just, who took pictures of fake puke and then. I always wondered how effective that would be. 
I think that works maybe once and probably not even that many times. Right. I, w- I would think that when you have three or four a week, Uber would start to think something was up. The other thing is it's the person's paying. Yeah, so that's why they'll complain right away. I always wondered how that could be proved. Like even when I, I took the picture of it when it happened, I sent it to Uber, they charged the passenger. Um, but what if the passenger said, no, that wasn't me. I don't know what that is. You, I wonder if they gauge it based on external factors. Uh, you like know. the fact that it was three in the morning, I picked them up from a bar. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah. Or is something like if that's the second or the one person I saw who complained, they credited the account, which says to me that driver had done that more than once. Very possible. And maybe had the same pictures. Didn't you have uh, Hillary Duff stalker? Oh room? yeah, no, I yeah, I had I had a, a Hillary Duff stalker. Um, that was bizarre because it was a, it was just like a Wednesday afternoon at like. To, well, you got to think stalkers don't rest. They have, you know, they're they keep, stalking yeah. all the time. They, they keep very active hours. Yeah. So when you've forgotten that Hillary Duff's existed, Wednesday two, you're getting lunch, trying to figure that out. He's thinking, got to stalk Hillary Duff. He was, I mean, he was way beyond thinking that. Like this was his life. So, okay. So how did that go? You pick somebody up and he's like, P- uh, uh, picked a guy up and North- did he do the movie thing where he shows you a picture of her or does he scream yes. follow that car like what does he do <laughs> he did not do that he did show me a picture at one point during his insane ramblings he was like uh because he's been doing this for years and in his mind he's not a stalker he's just a fan like he usually shows up at autograph signings and a stuff good like rule that. of thumb is that if you are a fan of hillary duff still you're a stalker, you're a stalker. by definition yeah. yes yeah absolutely i agree um but he's from boston so this okay. he had flown across, this is the first time he'd was flown he across the country. Was he also very gay? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um and he tried to show me a picture at one point and uh he said do you want to see a picture of me and Hillary together and I said of course. So wait, hold on a second here. Let's we I've got to hire ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Did he open it when he gets in the car by like saying, "Hi, I'm Hillary Duff stalker." How did this come up? It was close to that. The, the way the way it came up, it took very little prodding on my part. I asked him how his day was going. He said he was in town on vacation and he was going to this gym in West Hollywood. And I said, "Oh, that's cool. You're working out on your vacation." He goes, "Oh no, I'm not going inside the gym." Um, and I asked, "Is there something special about the gym?" And he said, "Yeah, it's Hillary Duff's gym." And that opened the floodgates. He was going to where she works out to uh, pay her a visit. At that point, did you think I may have to testify about this later? Oh, I, I started running through in my head like everything I ever heard about citizens arrests. I'm like, what am I going to have to like, do I drive him directly to jail? Like, what do I what do I do? No, that only happens in Monopoly. <laughs> so he's telling you then he starts talking about Hillary Duff. Yeah. Does he know too much personal stuff about her? Oh, yeah. And way, that's way it, too much. What did he what did he know where you were like, well, when I. He said, he offered up, he goes, I was going to go to her house instead of her gym, but it's in a gated community. Probably because of people just like Absolutely. this. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then he said, uh, he was like, uh, you know, he's like, if hypothetically I wanted to get an Uber and just have the Uber driver wait outside of a place for a while, I was like, just stop. No, the answer is no. Like, the answer is yes. That's a sweet deal. <laughs> Look. The people, the Robert Bardos of this world, they exist. You know, they, yes. Will they kill the actress for my sister, Sam, who nobody remembers, Rebecca Schaefer? Yeah, but you might as well make a little money from them. 
Interesting fact about that guy, by the way. Mm-hmm. He was stalking Samantha Smith, the 12 year old who sent the letter to uh, the Russian premier. I can't, is it Chernyanka or on drop off? Then she died in a plane crash. So then he had to move on to somebody else. How heartbreaking must that have been for him? That's so rough. you said no? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely not. Oh, come on. I'm man. not aiding and abetting in a crash, especially, okay. Here's the thing: when you sit Look at still, you using words that you know, with legal loading. You just you just made like nine references I didn't understand. So no, yeah. no, 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 no. I'm not <laughs> saying that it was the wrong thing. I'm just saying that you could have just said helping out a friend, mm. aiding and abetting makes it sound so wrong. Well, let me let me put a different twist on it. Okay, uh, Uber charges per mileage, not per minute. What? Yeah. Oh, well, then never fuck that guy. That's what then. I'm saying. Oh yeah. If he wanted me to keep doing laps. Then yes. Okay, so let's I would go back absolutely here. Help. So this wasn't about aiding and abetting. No, it was about finance. It would be fiscally irresponsible. Yes, but you were you were presenting it as a moral issue. I don't want to help this guy murder this woman. Well, I You're didn't like, know you'd have follow up questions. Free, <laughs> right? I, everybody's got a price. I didn't know you can't. And just mine sit is ninety there. cents per mile. Yeah, that's that's reasonable. Obviously, that's yeah. what you're charging. So it's they act, you can't just sit there. You have, it's per mile. So yeah, it's it's per. They have a very light charge per minute. It's like eight cents per minute or something. Which is not worth it. No, not at all. Which is why you get drunk people who wanted to go through drive-throughs, and it would take 20, 25 minutes for like an in and out, and it was a killer. It would kill. But because I that, never yeah. said no. A lot of drivers will just flat out tell you no. Why did you never say no? Because again, I feel like it's a customer service industry. And that comes from years of managing a CVS. And you know, one thing I learned from working in the customer service industry is fuck the customers. Right. You I know? felt that way, but I never acted that way. And I probably should have. I don't know. It's your call. You did better in the industry than I did. <laughs> so you, this guy wanted you to stop outside of the gym with him or what did he want? No. To- so with the, with the gym, he had mapped it all out. She had been overseas on a tour. And he said she she knew the exact time her plane landed the day before. He factored in jet lag. He thought she wouldn't want to go to the gym. He was very aware that she had not been to the gym overseas because there are several Twitter accounts who track her every movement, according to him. And uh, what, are, what are their addresses? I, I couldn't tell you. Um, but evidently, he he played out a whole scenario in her head where she wakes up. She goes, "Ugh, you didn't go to the gym you got to go to the gym today, Hillary, and puts on her yoga pants. Like, he knew exactly when she would be there. Like, he factored in what time she wakes up. Like, it was it was troubling. Well, it sounds to me it says more about him than it does about her, that he's the type of person that misses obligations and then wakes up and feels guilty about them. He was definitely projecting. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. So he thought, well, she'll be jet. He knew when her plane landed. Yeah. And then he knew she was jet lagged. I mean, that was an assumption. But that's that's, uh, significant. Educated guess. So you ended up dropping him off? Yeah. So I spent the whole time wondering what I should do. And then what I did was I drove him there and I was like, go get her. And I dropped him off. That's like very romantic comedy. I I think I only gave him four stars because I had to fight back somehow. Um, so wait, so the drivers, I don't know how Uber works. I've never taken one. The drivers rate the passengers and the passengers rate the drivers. Yeah. What's more important to Uber? If you give a passenger a one star, does that affect if a passenger gives you a one star? No, I have to rate the passenger like like instantly. Okay. I mean, I guess they could see that their rating dropped and rate me accordingly. But my point is this, is yeah. if a passenger gives you a bad rating, yeah. you're fucked regardless of whether he was a maniac or not. The fact that you gave him a bad rating is irrelevant. Yeah, pretty much. And was your rating good? 4.93. Is that good? Out of five. 
It's amazing. Is that amazing? How I out of six thousand? Really? Beast, yeah. And you just were good at dealing with drunk people. Yeah. Would you have them rate you at the time? Would you have any tricks for how to do that? No, I never asked for a good rating or anything like that. I didn't give out sticks of gum or mints or bottles of water. It sounds as though you talk to them, though, which is more than I would do. I consider myself a good conversation. The thing I'm best at is recognizing whether or not somebody wants to talk. Like, I'm sure you've had Uber drivers before who you don't want to talk. never done it. They, oh, you've never used it as a passenger? I think once or twice, okay. but never paid. And I can tell you right now, I never want to talk. Yeah, a lot of people don't. So I would ask one or two sort of open-ended questions. And if I got one word answers, that was my cue to put on the radio and shut up. Smart, yeah. A lot of drivers are not good at picking up on social skills and they're annoying. That's why they will be replaced by robots shortly. Very shortly, yeah. Uh, yeah, so do you have any, ever get people that were rude or hostile or angry? Yeah, I mean, rarely. I guess that one gay guy touching you was enough where you're like... that was That was the most uncomfortable I ever got. Um, Besides the fact that you were with somebody who probably wanted to kill international pop sensation Hillary Duff. Oh, he did not want to kill her. He just wanted to be her best friend. Yeah. you know That's when, how it starts. That's how exactly how it starts. <laughs> you know, the only thing sadder than that would be somebody stalking Haley Duff. But, uh, yeah. But I mean, I guess there are levels. That was the most disappointing part to me is that it's 2015 at the time. And it's like, dude, if you applied yourself, you could find like Rihanna new- lives here. Or Taylor's like, what do you do? Like Katy Perry. Something about Hillary Duff spoke to him. Evidently. I don't know. He's been in the game for a long time. Like I respect well, you his have dedication. To be. You don't start Hillary Duff stalking now. <laughs> right. You yeah. got to be Hillary Duff stalking is like buying a stock and then holding out and hoping it makes a comeback. Right. Should he have sold that? Yes. Yeah, he he's, should definitely he, be stalking. He's holding something. on to Napster stock as yeah. we speak. Tell me about it. I, I made some bad stock purchases back in the day. <laughs> so you've, you're a married guy. Yes. So you're supporting your wife with your Uber habit. I mean, she she has a full-time job too. She works really? very hard. Up until recently, she had three jobs. So Wow. She's uh, But now you got yeah. a big-time writing job, so she quit all of them? She's down to two. <sighs> Don't let her get lazy. Don't <laughs> let her get lazy. She's an extremely hard worker. Any kids? No, we're working on it. Um, we are, uh, we're trying to have our first right now. Okay, so... You say trying, you mean you're blowing loads in her? What are you doing? What does that mean? Sorry. I mean, as far as I know, I Wikipedia'd it. That seems to be the way. Congratulations, yeah. yeah. Any, how long have you been trying? Uh, over a year. Really? Yeah. Any problems? Yeah. Yeah, plenty. I mean, we had a uh, couple of years ago, we had a miscarriage. Um, how far along was she? Uh, we literally knew of the pregnancy for about six hours. It was uh, what's called an ectopic pregnancy. So the baby was the wrong direction in the body? Um, what does that mean, that topic? You know, I, I wish I wish I could give you a technical definition. What I know is it's the way it was described to me at the time. They didn't even use the word miscarriage. They just said it's not a viable pregnancy. Like we found out she was pregnant. And then six hours later, it was almost like, oh, we were we were wrong. So how long had she been pregnant? Uh, a few weeks. OK, you know, that's it's surprising how many pregnancies end that way yeah like it's like a lot you know people don't know they're pregnant or they're just you know their prayers are answered yeah uh, i mean for us it was definitely the former uh rather than the, the so latter. You, they said hey you're pregnant and then six hours later it was like you're not pregnant uh so how emotionally damaging was that well at the time it was it was just such a it was like a whirlwind of emotions because we were um we were about to get married. We weren't married yet. We were still a couple months out. When were you going to get married? Uh, we got married June 2014. Okay. And this happened April 2014. Okay. 
Were um, you trying to get pregnant? No. Were you pulling out or thinking you're on birth control or just thinking what the fuck? Like, what was your method of birth control? <laughs> yeah, I was pulling out. Okay. Yes. The classics. The class. Yeah. An oldie, but a goodie. She gets pregnant. You, you yeah. So the emotional roller coaster. First, are you excited? Like you went. I through was it terrified. Th- terrified okay. was the first thing. Okay. Um, because uh, you know, we we had a plan, which was to get married and then wait a year and some change and then start trying. Um, so it was just so out of left field that when it happened, my initial reaction was I was I was terrified. Were you angry? Did you, did no. you scream at her? No, there was, you, there was no, ter- there what was, was no her anger. initial response. Uh, just shock. Okay. She was so, yeah, we were both just so shocked. Okay. So then six hours later, mm-hmm. did you find out cause it was going poorly? Like how did, well, what happened? Ha- she had been having uh pain, like abdominal pain. Okay. Um, for, you know, a, a few days that was getting progressively worse. So I had, she missed her period. Uh, she hadn't had one in months. Okay, so it was a separate issue. Yes. So it was impossible to gauge. So she's correct. A, she has stomach pains. She has stomach pains. She had one she had one in months. Had she been checking? Yeah. So she had taken a couple tests. Oh yeah. Several. Okay. Yeah. All negative. Um so the the pain got too too great one night, so I drove her to the hospital. Yeah. And we sat there for like what seemed like forever, and then we went in and it was finally around, I wanna say like two or three in the morning. Because they were they were gearing up to like run a bunch of tests on her, and then they came back and just very matter of factly, the woman, the the nurse said, "Well, we can't run this test on you." And she said, "Well, why not?" And she goes, "Because you're pregnant." That was it. That was how she announced it. And then she nurse needs to work on her bedside it manner. Was, yeah, yeah, it left a lot to be desired. Um, so there was a lot of holy shit. Um, that was like the initial reaction. Um, and then because it was three in the morning, she after about an hour convinced me she, cause she had to stay overnight. She said, you go home, rest up, come back in the morning. So when I woke up in the morning, you know, she called and told me, uh, it's not a viable pregnancy, which so is, she had found ectopic. this out. In she the had found out in the morning. Um, so over the course of like six hours. So in my mind, I'm very naive when it comes to lots of things. This included, I didn't know. Um, nobody ever used the word miscarriage. Um, they, they use the word ectopic, but I didn't, I, this has been such a learning experience for me, you know? So I went to the hospital and then ectopic uh, babies can go to term though, can't they? Or is that just, they ought ectopic? Oh, I mean, yeah, they, they, they could in theory. Okay. So in this case, what happened was the baby was just jacked up. Yes. I don't think that's the medical term, but yes. (laughs) You know what? You'd be surprised. You talk to some doctors, they'll say the same thing. So, so she went through this emotionally and then you weren't there. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was sleeping. Uh, she was sleeping through most of it and then I went and picked her up. You know, did she hold that against you? No. Really? Yeah. Wow. I hold it against myself. Really? Why? To a degree. I mean, we, you know, we go to counseling now with other couples who have been through loss and it's really helped me realize like in retrospect, I wish that I hadn't left, you know? Um, well, how could you have known? I just think, you know, if there's ever a situation where she's in the hospital overnight uh, in the future, like, I'll be there. Like, I'm not leaving. Well, let's hope that doesn't come up. Right. But I'm saying, like, in retrospect, it shouldn't have mattered whether or not I knew. Like, I should have just slept in the chair next to the bed. 
Um, It was her idea for me to go home in my defense, but I shouldn't have let, I shouldn't have done it. So I, you know, I, I regret that a little bit. Yeah. So you've gone to counseling for the loss. Yeah, we, we, we've gone with other couples. It's like a group thing. Um, and we sort of share stories about the loss and how it impacted us. Did it have an, cause you know, what I'm hearing is it was six hours and it's significant, but there would be a world in which she wouldn't have even known she was pregnant at all. Yeah. But in this case, because it was like, you're pregnant, now you're not pregnant. Well, she would have had to know at some point because there there was something forming inside of her. You I guess know what that's I mean? true. Like, but I guess she could have been passed as blood. Or I don't know how that works. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I, I think it was too far along at that point for, okay. for that to happen. Like we would have found out regardless. And a lot of the stuff that I've been through in regards to that day sort of came later looking back on it. Because at the time I figured, okay, well, we got pregnant without even trying. Right. So yeah. once we start trying, it's going to be easy. Yeah. And then that was not the case. There's residual effect from a miscarriage. So this is where the emotions get involved because now you can't have a baby. Right. Well, I mean, we should be able to, but we're going to require, you know, outside assistance and all that sort of thing. It's so been a lot more difficult than I anticipated. Because of the miscarriage. Yes, correct. And now it costs a fuckload of money. Yes. Uh, so you're doing IVF, you're doing the... Hub. We have to... So the, the step before IVF is IUI, okay, um, which is a lot cheaper. Um, but we consulted with a bunch of doctors and they, they all seem to agree that IUI, A, we would have a very low success rate with that given yeah. you know all the circumstances. And B, in the event that we did succeed, there'd be a very high rate of a repeat ectopic, which is the last thing either one of us wants to go through. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, IVF, while more expensive, they believe uh, we would have a very good success rate, somewhere in the neighborhood of 65 to 70%, and then a very low chance of repeat ectopic, like less than 1%. So it just seems like putting money into IUI, it because it's less money, you might think, oh, that's a better option, but you'd essentially be giving away $2,000 for almost guaranteed nothing. Or worse than nothing. Or worse than nothing, which would be repeat trauma. Yeah. At the very least, you know now what to do if it happens. For sure. Yeah. So you end up doing the roast battle, and then are people sensitive to your plight? Um, in a weird way, I mean, no and yes. Um, so you judged my most recent battle, if I remember yes, correctly, I against judge. Dan Nolan. Yeah. And Dan closed me out with a miscarriage joke. Um, so on the surface, you could say, no, that's not sensitive to my plight. Because Also, he, in a deep level, you could say that's not sensitive to your plight. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the case for it. I'm going to make the case for that joke. The joke was, when Pat lost a child to a miscarriage last year, there was nothing funny about it which is how Pat knew he was the father. Here's the case for that joke. Um, It's not about the miscarriage. It's about me being unfunny, and he used the miscarriage as a vehicle. Which really is so much worse than the You feel that way? (laughs) Most comedians would pray for a miscarriage and then also pray to not be considered not funny. So really, (laughs) you're 0 for 2. Well, 1 for 2 in that one. Uh, So you... I guess so. Yeah. So did your, does your wife know that they're making fun of the miscarriage? Yeah. Is that a problem for her? She's not thrilled about it. Yeah. That's uh she's not, um, 
you know, the next morning I woke up and she, because she doesn't go to the battle because it's just too late. And she's a teacher. So, yeah. you know, during the school year, it's just too late. So uh, the next morning she got up for work and I, I was sleeping and she woke me up to ask me how it went. And I said, ah, I lost. And she said, uh, did you do good? I said, yeah, it was really close up until the last joke. Cause like I'm half asleep. I'm not even thinking. And she said, oh, what was the last joke? At that point, do you think danger, danger, danger? Yeah, but you're too far. You're too far. And here's the thing. They write a roast report. Like, does she read it? Yeah. Really? Yeah. She's intrigued. Okay, see, uh, I know I've discussed this, but mm-hmm. the girl I've been on and off with for 10 years, the most attractive thing about her, besides her hot looks and her personality, is her utter disdain. For children? Well, that's <laughs> that's good, too. For comedy. She hates just, right. does not like comedy. She only likes Ricky Gervais, so you could argue she doesn't like comedy at all. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, it, it's like an appealing thing that she has no interest in what I do. Yeah. So... The roast report, she'd be like, fuck that. Unless, of course, she thought it involved some other woman who wasn't her. And then she would study it obsessively and scream at me just to be angry. So you tell her. the. So you say, oh, she, what's the what's the miscarriage joke? Uh, so it's I, a joke. And yeah. then you tell her. And so then, I, I told her and um, she was like, OK. And I said, are you mad? Like, oh, are you up? Like, when you have to how ask do you that feel? question. How do, how do you like, are you OK? Was it because there was a long pause after you told her that? Or how did she respond to that? Yeah, I mean, that was, uh, you know, she just she just sort of said, okay. Um, And there was like, you know, some silence. And I asked her if she was okay. And she said, I just need like time to sort of process it. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I mean. By the way, that is not what you, you know, hey, how was your night? You don't expect that conversation (laughs) to end with, I need time to process this. Well, here's the thing. She's known for a while that it's going to come up. Dan was the first person to do it. Um, yeah, he was the first person to, to go there. And I think people avoid it because I've seen it a bunch of times in the roast battle where you're more mean than you are funny and the crowd is not on board with it. So I think Dan really towed that line. The roast audience wants blood so much that they I I feel like there's gotta be creativity to it. Yeah. I guess I can see that. So then he went, Dan went for the miscarriage. Your wife needs time to process it. Not too dissimilar from the miscarriage itself. Right. Does she scream at you later? Does she upset about it? Does no. she cite it later? She understands. She gets it. She doesn't Nobody like it. Nobody understands. She does. I Here's the when thing. When you say she doesn't like it. Yeah, she's not a fan of it. I mean, who would be? That's what I'm saying. But she, she understands that I have to do this, and she understands that people are going to say, I've said mean things about people. Like It would be hypocritical for either of us to be like, oh, that was over the line. Pat, it's what the roast are hypocrites. Is. I'm not saying you should be upset, but you can see why she, you know, it's, I feel bad. It's like a politician's wife. Sure. You're like she didn't exactly sign up for that. Right. No, she yeah. kind of did. My, my, she'll, she catches some stray bullets on that show. It just, it just, as happens. I recall, I I'm not upset. I voted for Dan over you probably because of that joke. That was the one. Yeah, that was, it was thing. neck and neck up until that joke. And he just, he blew the room up and I knew I didn't have anything that good. I was on my last joke and I felt very comfortable with my material on the whole, but I knew I didn't have a knockout punch. And he, that was the first time I ever felt like I truly like lost in the roast battle. I have three official losses, but like one How was very work? close. There's like a ranking system. Yeah. 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 And it's like 50 top 50. Like, yeah, they do. We, uh, we, I'm actually part of the, the, the rankings committee. Well, we, to we, me, that seems like 50. something of a conflict of interest. You would think so. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, we, we rank the top 50. It's just a fun thing. I mean, we're not sanctioned by any committee, you know. It's just a fun thing is what people say when they are the people in charge of the conflict of interest. Well, I assure you the 50 people are like shaking their fists. It's fun for me too because I, I go in after I lose to Dan and I was, I think, number like three at the time because I was eight and two, which yeah. is a solid record. Do they do it off records or off qualities of performances? Because in my experience... yeah. Roast battle winning or losing is irrelevant. It's often they're two winners or two losers. Definitely. No, I, Does that I, factor in? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, Pete Cornacion, I think, is in our top 20, and he's like four and seven or something. So, yeah. And meanwhile, you know, uh, like we'll have other people who are like five and one, and they'll be ranked 35. Just tomato cans. Who's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's, you went for number three, and then after that one, you got voted down to? I think six, seven. Who's number one right now? Number one is Alex Hooper. So they're doing a TV show, right? Yeah. Yeah. Are you going to be participating in the show? Uh, no. Not at all? Not to the best of my knowledge. That surprised me. You were The thing about the, the, uh, the haters table is mm-hmm. that judging is quite easy. Because if you have something you think is funny, you can say it. If you don't have something you think is funny, you, you're serious. Whereas the haters table always has to come up with something good all the time. It has to be funny and it can't be instructive. The haters table was by far the most difficult part of roast battle. Actually, battling is way easier than doing the haters table. Did you prepare for the haters table? It was 50-50. But you'd write jokes I to get ready. I would prepare some stuff, sure. So yeah. you And you know who these people are, so you're ready to go with Thanks some to stuff. the roast report. Yeah, I read What's it ahead of time. The roast report being? Uh, they write like a weekly like preview and a recap of the battles. So you can study these people i would look at the preview and i would do a, like, a little bit of research just baseline have an idea is that even when i was judging I, that would have been damned useful yeah you should check when it out. i was judging um we had jerron horton sitting behind us mm-hmm. nick yusuf and i did and he just gave us line after line he's and a beast nick were el- and i were elbowing each other in the face to get out jerron's lines and there were some lines where you're like this is not you could tell anytime i'm making a reference to sitting on 24s yeah that's not something <laughs> i wrote that is not me. That was during the uh, all wheelchair roast battle. Oh, yeah. Which Classic. was the closest thing I had to a moral issue. But did I make fun of both of them? Yes, I absolutely did. You wouldn't so, have been doing your job if you didn't. Uh, you're right. And you know what? I'll be honest with you. I don't do my job a lot of the time. <laughs> that was just for the love. Yeah. So you've gotten stuff. So the roast, you've gotten stuff out of it. Like yeah. this is like your big break. I uh, am currently uh, writing for a show on HBO called Any Given Wednesday, uh, and it's Bill Simmons' new show, uh, and it premieres in a couple weeks, and it's my first Hollywood writing gig, and it was indirectly because of the roast battle. You know, it's I a made, nice deal. Made some connections there, and then they led to other things, and you keep getting small, bigger and bigger opportunities, and eventually, yeah, it pays off. Yeah, and that is, let me tell you something. When you start at the comedy store, it's not a fait accompli. You'll meet anybody. No. You know, it's like that roast uh, battle has been very good for people because industry comes in, people watch it. It makes a difference. How long have you been in comedy? 11 years. But then you moved out here three years ago. Yes. So I did eight years in Philadelphia um, and then I moved out here. And what I I found was I was, again, very naive. I, I was like, oh, I'll just move out there and start hitting mics. And, you know, people will see me and I'll sort of work my way up. And that's what happened. Well, that's not what happened. I spent a year hitting mics and not getting up because there's so many comedians in this city. 
Oh, really? Because I started when I started 50 years ago, you could get up. It's just nobody cared. No. Well, what happens is you, you'll have, you know, a mic that'll last three hours and half the comedians don't get up because there's just so many comics. Yeah, that's changed. A so little. so a I started people. seeing yeah. the roast battle and I said, OK, I'm looking at the judges panel and they're all people who matter. And I'm like, well, I not, that's where I'm going to disagree with you. There's a heavy contingent of people. Yeah, who I've, I've judged and I don't matter at all. So right. it's like there are you're some, in the minority. Yes, David. there we go. But I'm definitely there is a strong minority. Fair enough. Let's recognize the judges that are irrelevant to entertainment. But I just knew I could do one roast battle and it would be worth more than 100 open mics. That's probably true. Because yeah. you're showing that you it's not just like a yo mama situation, you know, like people you're showing that you can write because you have a, a, a deadline, you have a specific target and your jokes have to be short and quick and funny. Yeah. And it's a very difficult assignment, but it shows people what you can do way more than an open mic does. I could see that for open mics. It was like you'd prepare for the week. You would have some topical material and then right. it would go away. Right. Uh, and I did grow out of an open mic. So you. Uh, who did you go against first? My first battle was a guy named Rob Lewis, who was also from Philadelphia. Okay, so you knew him. Uh, I A little bit. Not not a ton. We had sort of missed each other in terms of era in Philadelphia. Um, he was he was new to L.A. And he did a battle before me, and I saw him do it. And uh, then he put out like an open challenge sort of thing, and I accepted. And, and uh, then they put you on. Yep. That was the shocking thing was how easy it was to get on. Because a lot of comedians are scared to do it. It also is, it's tough to get any people for any show. And you think about that, that show is like eight comics a week. Yeah. So it's tough to book an eight comic a week show. Right. But at the time, now it's getting picked up by Comedy Central. Now everybody wants to do it. But, you know, a year and a half ago, they were having a harder time getting people. So on any other hot show in LA, you have to send a tape. You got to audition. You got to wait two years because there's a waiting list. This was the only one where I literally went up and said, hey, you don't know me. I want to battle. And Moses said, cool, who do you want to battle? And he gave us a date. And that was it. And then you prepared. Yeah. By writing. Now, how do you uh, run the jokes? Do you do open mics? Never run a single joke at an open mic. Really? Yeah. So how do you. I consider LA open mics to be soul crushing, or at least they were for me. So then how do you gauge what material works and what doesn't? I run them by a select group of like seven or eight people. So, you know, that that would be difficult because, first of all, it's tough to tell what joke works. And then it's really tough to tell you have to. It's tough to get a group of people that will know what a good joke is. And then also performing it is its own special thing. They're almost all roast battle people. Um, So they've they've seen the show. They know. Do you run the jokes by your wife? Yes. Every one of them. She's one of my uh, most valuable resources because she can. Because she's not she's not a comic. So she speaks from the perspective of, oh, if I just showed up to this show do I think that that's funny? Because a lot of times comics will get caught up in the mechanics of it. They'll be like, well, you yeah. should reword this or that or you know, cut three words here. My wife will just tell me, yes, that concept is funny or no, it's not. But the thing is, the Roast Battle audience isn't exactly, it's like, it is an audience of comedians. It's a mixture. There's a lot def- of comedians. They're definitely looking for blood. Right. It's like a special thing. So you got to have a hybrid. There's a, there's a very specific science to writing a Roast Battle joke. Yeah. Definitely. So what, how would that work? What do you mean? What's the science exactly? I mean, when I write it out, like when I type it in like my notes, I yeah. know pretty much exactly how many syllables I can get to before it's too long because I tend to write longer jokes. So I teeter right on the brink and I've gone over the edge a couple times and I usually can tell like what pacing I have to use because you got to get it done quick enough to where the audience um, 
you know, still is entertained by it. But by the same token, it's usually two unknowns, right? Yeah. Like I'm roasting and nobody knows who I am. And I'm roasting somebody else and nobody knows who they are. So you are. need some exposition in there. Absolutely. Unless you're going very obvious. Like if I'm battling Omid Singh and I want to make a joke about him being an Indian, that doesn't require explanation. Yes. But when I battled Omid, he has a tattoo on his wrist that he calls his set list. So I had a joke about that, but I had to explain that. You in know? as short a time as possible. Whereas yeah. jokes about him being a, a terrorist. Easy. There we go. It's, it's Low-hanging open. fruit. Yeah. yeah. The fact that he's balding. Right. right there. Absolutely. Obvious. The fact that I'm fat. Like, I, I get right that. Right there. It's, you know, it's, people are going to come at it. And I assume you write defensive jokes, too, because you know people are going to come at certain angles. For sure. Yeah. You got to have rebuttals ready. Rebuttals. Do you have people help you write the jokes? No. Really? See, I, I know people that do. It seems to me like that would be a smart thing to do. One time in my second ever battle, I had a joke where I love the setup. And you're a sports fan, so yeah. you'll probably appreciate this. I was battling a dude, and I read his bio. I didn't know him that well. And in his bio, it said, this guy started comedy the same year as Chris D'Elia and this person and that person. And he basically listed a lot of comedians who started at the exact same time and are way more successful than him. Yeah. So I had a joke about him being the Darko Milicic of you know, his like comedy draft class. Yes. Darko was drafted the same year as LeBron and Carmelo, Carmelo Dwayne Wade, he Chris Bosh, all those guys. Yes. Darko was second. He was second. He was right in the middle. So to me, it was a perfect joke. The problem is nobody got the reference. Probably so, that would be part of the problem. That's is, a huge yeah. problem. So well, I, also, yeah, this guy is just like Darko too obscure. Right. So I went to a friend and I said, hey, what's another example of something that started out the same time as something more successful? And he gave me a different one and it didn't fit in the joke. And by yeah. the time I put it all together, it bombed. Yeah. And it was nobody's fault. But that was who the, was the what did he say Pete Best? No, he he didn't even use a person. He said that um, he he did like a car thing, like the James Bond car came out the same year as like the VW like van where like hippies yeah, rape I got women. You, yeah. So by the time I pieced it all together, it was just like it was like a Mad Libs of a joke. It didn't work, and from that point on, I was like, I'm never using anything anybody gives me ever again. So any joke I've told on stage, with the exception of half of that one that bombed is all me yeah i'm I'm all about it somebody give me a good joke hey man i'll take that <laughs> motherfucker absolutely also i mean we have different voices you know so yeah, I, I know that's I, the reason you take jokes from other people <laughs> the voice you develop that's capital uh-huh. you know what i'm saying that's that's the difficulty that's right. the machinery you build yeah so like that's i mean that's the whole point of television is that like there's a guy in front and then seven overpaid, overworked, unhappy people cranking out stuff for him to say, no, 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 no. I don't get it. I want something smart. You know why else I don't use jokes from other people? Why? Because it's competitive. And there's a winner and a loser. And I think that's cheating. And like, if I was doing like the Comedy Central roast and somebody wrote me material, I would use it in a heartbeat because everybody wins. But I feel like if I'm beating somebody with jokes I didn't write, it's almost like I took PEDs. You know, I, I don't, See, I disagree. I feel weird about it. If you had a trainer, would that be uh, cheating? Uh, no. If you had an instructor, would that be cheating? No. So how would take somebody's joke? That's it's a completely different line. To- no. Again, <laughs> it's like, you know what it is? I've had this argument with Hormoz mm-hmm. is that I, I believe in the, the primacy of performance over writing. 
I think writing is completely unimportant. So the show is called the Joke Writers Showcase. David, come on. Things now. are called a lot of things. It doesn't mean <laughs> anything. You know, it's like I I believe that it's like the joke is less important than the per- you look at Earl. Earl does very well, and he'd be the first to tell you it's all performance for him. Sure, Earl is a special case. Earl is on another level performance wise. I would argue that he's not a special case that he performs in. You know. So it, that's just my like. It's an interesting. We're going to agree to disagree yeah. on this one. So you, I, I still believe in uh, in performance over writing. When you're doing stand up, are you aggressive? Uh, not generally. My my stand up is pretty docile compared to my roast battle. But like, I have, I mean, I have a mean streak. I feel like inside me, but uh, generally, my material is is pretty calm. Do you end up doing angry crowd work? I know a lot of people like that where they uh, their material is nice and their crowd work is more honest. No, usually my crowd. I mean, there's there was one time um, I incited a little. I got punched by uh, a woman in a bachelorette party uh, after some particularly vicious crowd work, which, which is not usually my style. But uh, that night I was just in a mood. I bet she was too, considering she wasn't the bachelorette. Uh, I don't believe she was. So then, yeah, basically you were both disappointed about yeah. your lot in life on that particular evening. Right. Was she pretty? Uh, I couldn't even tell you. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, she was older. She was okay. probably, I, I want to say like early 40s maybe. What did you say? And I how said did it lots go? of things. Okay, well. Do you wanna, okay, so yeah. you want to go? All right. So let's here's, go into this. Yeah. So here's the story. Um, basically, it was a three-man show at the comedy club. Um, the host was a, a dear friend of mine named Tommy Pope, who uh, is currently uh, has a Comedy Central deal for a show called Delco Proper, doing very well. And uh, I was the middle, and the headliner was John Lovitz. Okay. So that was the lineup. So they would uh, come backstage before the shows and warn us about bachelorette parties, because as you know, they can be very distracting. My friend who did... Before, used to perform in Wisconsin said he would have material for that because you could count on there being at least one in a weekend. It's a good idea to have material yeah. ready. So they came back, uh, the, the guy who was running things that night, and he said there's two bachelorette parties. One is off to the left. It's like seven or eight women, pretty standard. They seem pretty chill. The other one is 70. It's a 70-person bachelorette party, and they're back by the sound booth, which was insane to me that there would be a 70-woman bachelorette party. Uh, I've never heard of such a thing. Um, so he goes, you know, just beware. Now, my, my personal thing with bachelorette parties has always been, like, I will ignore them because I don't, frankly, want to talk to them. But if they engage me, then I will try to shut them down as quickly as possible. That's my approach to celebrities. <laughs> Same exact thing. Right. Yeah. When they want an autograph or something like that. No, no, like no. Selfie. It's, it's when you have a celebrity in the audience. Okay. I had Donovan McNabb. Mm. He was in the crowd. Um, it was like a 10 person show. It's comedy store. It's late at night. And you yeah. remember that was during the John, Jonathan, remember the Jonathan Martin, Richie Incognito bullying Absolutely, scandal. Yeah. Well, if you remember after Jonathan Martin leveled his charges against Richie Incognito, other people, you know, came forward and said that happened to me. Sean Andrews was his coworker, you know, his, his lineman. He remember he came forward and said Donovan McNabb bullied me, right? And he said, well, he was, it was all about Donovan. He was a jerk. He was selfish. Okay, a week later, we're at the comedy store. Ten people in the audience, a bunch of comics sitting in the back. 
And Donovan McNabb is there with Gary Payton. Now, I'm not going to acknowledge either one, especially not Payton because he was a you know legendary trash talker. Right. But I'm not going to say anything. Anyway, I'm doing what I'm doing, which is not doing well. I look down and fucking Donovan McNabb is checking his cell phone in the middle of my set. So then I said, hey, McNabb, I'm not Sean Andrews. It isn't all about you this time. That's awesome. And then I thought he really looked like he wanted to kick my ass. And somebody <laughs> said, are you worried he's going to kick your ass? And I said... I came to the comedy store to be a a millionaire. This is the only chance I have to make that happen. (laughs) That's awesome. And then he just glared at me. So that's kind of, so that's my approach to celebrities. So your approach to bachelorette parties is... Ignore them. And if if you have to engage, shut it down as quickly as possible. The host of the show did not share that same belief. He went out there and opened with, so I hear there's a huge fucking bachelorette party here, right? So they all start going nuts. So he launches into like 10 minutes of all of his bachelorette party yeah, material. Exactly. Everybody all has. of the stock bachelor just taking it, just like picking liberally from yeah. like so, you know, the penis straws and this and that and blah blah and they're going nuts. They love it. The rest of the crowd hates it because they do not want to deal with these people. Yeah. Like even in the pre-show, the rest of the crowd was like, "Oh, they're going to be a problem." And this guy is just poking the dog with the stick, yeah. right? So he finishes. He does his set. I don't even know if he did any material. He just he well, crushed. He, he did material just that was the material. Right. Yeah. But he, he crushed. But what he had done was awaken a, like a sleeping sleeping giant. If yeah. they were, if they had any shot of sleeping. So then he brings me up and I'm sitting in the green room before he brings me up. And John Lovitz is like, what is he doing? Why is he doing this? You know, he's freaking out. And I'm like, I, I don't know. We can all picture John Lovett saying it too. Right. That's the nice thing about celebrities. Yeah. <laughs> so he brings me up and um, I had just decided I was like, I'm not going to take any shit from these people okay let me tell you this yeah i have done a fair amount of comedy and mm-hmm. done poorly 99 percent of the time and i can tell you if ever there were a recipe for disaster this it's walking it. up to the stage with the thought i'm not going to take any shit from you absolutely and it yeah. is because i've made that mistake again 99 percent of the time right and it was a recipe for disaster but somehow oh, yeah it worked Okay. I had one of the best sets of my life. Okay. Because I went out there and I I, I opened with something. I, it was like a current event. I was referencing something that happened with one of the sports teams. I don't even remember what the joke was, but it wasn't even a joke. It was just like a little. Well, you like, say you loose. do well. Do the bachelorettes like you? Does everybody like you? Who's not the bachelorettes? Or? So when he when he introduced yeah. me, like everybody claps and cheers, and like the bachelorettes are going like crazy because it, it's not even yeah. like they care about me. It's just like we could cheer louder and everybody yeah, look at us, right? So I go up there and I say something about the local sports teams, which I think was like a lo- like a dig at one of them. Yes. I don't remember. But as soon as I finish it, some woman in the bachelorette party just screams, you're not funny. Yes. The classic. Yeah. Which is the most cutting thing you can say to a comedian. Did you say you're not getting married? No, I wish I had. That's the most cutting thing my you can response, say to a woman. My response was not nearly as clever. My response was, oh, I'm not funny. Go fuck yourself. That's what I led with. Let me tell you something. That works too. Yeah, it did. Many paths, one truth. So so then I went off on the bachelorette party and I'm saying just evil shit. Like, I hope the wedding is a disaster. I hope it rains. I hope he leaves you at the altar. Like, and the crowd loves it. Yeah. They love it. Because who doesn't hate a bachelorette party? Oh my God. Everybody's on my side and it's just fueling me. And I'm just saying all this horrible shit. So then 
I spent like a couple minutes doing that. I had a half an hour to do. So I, I did that for like two or three minutes. Mm-hmm. And then I tried to go into regular material, which always often, a tough con- conversion. Always yeah. tough. It worked. My okay. material's crushing. Yeah. So now I'm like, this is great. So what they do in the bachelorette party is they start trying to distract me in like weird ways. Like they'll, they'll laugh at my setups. Here's what's so difficult about a bachelorette party, right? Mm-hmm. One of them is getting married. So right. she's getting all the attention. It's the biggest weekend of her life. But then you have literally 69 women right. who it's not about, who are jealous and want attention like this woman's getting. So now, of course, they're going to be upset that somebody else is getting attention too. You hit the nail on the head. And I, I even said something to that effect. Like, yeah. I, I can't even Fuck imagine you, you pigs. Why, why you would come here. Like, you clearly want to be the center of attention, and you came to the one place on Earth where that can't happen. So, you know, I'm flowing back and forth between tearing these people up and going into material, and back and forth, and it's all hitting, and it's like a miracle, right? So, I I finish my, I I go to finish my set, and I I go to my closer, and I'm like, you know, thank you guys. I was like, everybody here is awesome, except for you guys. Like, go fuck yourselves again. Like, I hate you, you know? So... I finish, I finish my closer. Everybody's, you know, clapping. And as I'm walking off, like I flip them the bird and I, I get off stage. This is like hearing about Gandhi. <laughs> so I go to the bar and the host, uh, Tommy's waiting out there and we're just sitting at the bar and like this woman comes out and um, she comes up to the bar and she, she orders a drink from the bartender and she goes, hey, just so you know, she says to the bartender, she goes, just so you know, this guy was a real fucking asshole tonight. And the bartender's like, okay, I don't, I don't care. Like, it's not yeah. my job. So she keeps trying to get my attention. So finally, I engaged her and I was like, look, I'm sorry you feel that way. I hope the rest of your night is great. And uh, I'm off the clock now. So we're not having this conversation, right? So she goes back in. She's mad. All her friends are mad. Well, John Lovitz decides that the best way to deal with this situation is to have them ejected. Okay. They yelled something to him. He was not in the mood to deal with it. And the way he chose to handle it was get them out of here. So now you have two bouncers trying to eject 70 angry women, which I I don't know how good you are at math, but that's not good. Yeah. So they're all coming out through the bar where I'm sitting and they're all just like yelling shit at me. And I'm going with the polite routine again, like, sorry, you feel that way. Have a great night. Right. So. Finally, one woman comes up to me and she's just like a pit bull. She's like, you are a fucking asshole tonight. You're a, you're a jerk. Hey, I hate you. And I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. And I keep trying to do the polite thing. So she keeps pushing me and pushing me. And finally, I just snapped and I turned to her and I said all the stuff that I said on stage. I just said it to her face. And I, my, my last line was something like, I'm not even getting paid right now. I don't get paid enough to deal with your shit. So it doesn't matter. I'm not discussing this. It doesn't matter what you have to say. It just doesn't matter. And there's a pause and she looks at me and I turned away at this point. I'm like looking up at the TV. She's on my side and she goes, you know what? It doesn't matter because let me tell you something. My dad died last week. Yeah. So none of this matters. And as I'm trying to figure out what the fuck any of that has to do with anything, she just hauls off like full blown, like Tyson Wright to my, to my temple. She punches me as hard as she can. And then she tries to leave and the bartender's like, oh, grab her, that's assault. And the, the bouncer grabs her. And like, my initial reaction was to play it as cool as possible. And they're like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. And on the inside, I'm like, I have a concussion. Like, I just got rocked. It was that bad? Oh, it was bad. But on the outside, I was like, you think a woman's gonna hurt my head? Come on now. But uh, yeah, it hurt really bad. And uh, they were like, do you wanna press charges? And I was like, nah, just get her out of here and you know, whatever. Um, but that was one of my only forays into aggressive crowd work. 
I'm shocked that that's, I mean, I've had people hit me with lit cigarettes. I've been Ooh. punched. I've been threatened. Uh, yeah, that happened a lot. Then she went away and there was never a problem. That was it. Yeah. Did you make a comment like, I'm glad your dad is dead on the way out? Um, there, well, what, did, what did I say? Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it wasn't me. It was it was Tommy when the, the bartender said, whoa, grab her. She can't do that. The bouncer was like, which one? And Tommy goes, the one with the dead dad, which was great. Uh, I had just been punched, so I wasn't thinking like on that level, but that was such a good line. Um, that is a great line. Great line. Isn't this how you met your wife? Through comedy. Yeah, she didn't punch me. But okay, yeah. but you, your, you, your wife, the poor woman, the poor, long-suffering <laughs> Mrs. Barker, who... She's the best. Who's, who's very pain. Yeah. The deepest woman pain she can ever experience has been made sport of yeah. by your friends and co-workers. Mm-hmm. She met you because her mother was a comedian? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and uh, but, but before I, I launch into this, I just want to say real quick, like a lot of people wonder why I even make the miscarriage stuff public um, because it seemingly like hurts her. She's been very brave in making our story public. She wants to like educate the public and she's very open about it um so she wants to like get the word out about you know miscarriage ectopic awareness and she she's amazing so well, very specific what how can what do you mean by ectopic awareness what could she have known how would awareness help it just it wouldn't have helped our situation like yeah. we still would have had it but awareness just in sort of how to deal with it because there's like a stigma almost behind it where people don't want to talk about it or people will say things that they think are helpful like Oh well, at least you only knew for a few hours. That's so to it me, wasn't honestly, that bad. to me, that seems like the logical thing. Yeah, and like, I agree. And that's yeah. how I felt originally, but it's minimizing the event is what it is. I can see that. Yeah, and it's not intentional. I'm not even saying I'm right, but like let me right. tell you, the first thing I think is like, yeah, you had a baby for three hours. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get it, and I play devil's advocate with her, and I, I try to keep, remind her that people are not trying to hurt her when they say that. Well. I mean, in the case of the roast battle, maybe a little. But. <laughs> right. But uh, she just wants to educate on like, don't say that. Don't compare By the way, losses. I would not you know? say to somebody, hey, it was only a couple hours, but I would think it. People do say it, though. That's really? the thing. That's why she's so outspoken about it. So I guess if there is some awareness, it's this. Yeah. Don't say to a woman who's lost her baby, eh, a couple hours. And if you have to say it, book a roast battle against me. Yeah, there and we that's, go. Put it, yeah, say it in the ring. So this this woman, this poor long suffering woman, right. her mother had a midlife crisis. Was that the story? Uh, I don't. I don't know if I would use that term. I mean, maybe. Um, Wait, no. what happened? So her mom um, decided that she was going to try comedy. That is called a midlife crisis. <laughs> that's the worst one. That's the definition of. Ah, uh, yeah. But I, I guess so. She just wanted to give it a try. So um, I can't even imagine the 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 layers of disappointment that would have to come for a full grown adult to say, I mean, hell, I do, I, I did it, but right. like, still, it's like she decided I want to do comedy. I'm I'm in my fifties. Well, it Let's seems see. fun from a distance, right? You're the funny one at how how do most people get started? They're the one at work. They where fail people, at everything else. No, they go to work and they they tell 
you know, little quips or whatever. And people are like, oh, you're really funny. You that should do stand-up. That was not my experience. Uh, I my feel experience like, was the work said, you got to go. And I'm like, I don't really have a lot to do. What am I gonna, and that's how I ended up. That's it's, Well, that's hilarious. It's process of elimination. I, I don't feel like most people have that same experience. I, Look I feel around like, you in the world of comedy. What's the one thing people have in common? Are the they failures. funny? Most of them are not. No. Are they successful? None of them. Right. No, I agree with that. But it's a chicken and the egg thing. Yeah, I got you. All right. Okay. So basically, she decides she wanted to do comedy. Um, there was a, a little, I hesitate to even call it a club. Uh, it was like an addition to a restaurant. They would set it up once a week and they called it Chuckles Comedy Club. And it was yeah. in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. And the guy who booked it. Um, Valley Forge was where Washington had his uh, his home. It yes. was a summer home or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We visited once. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did you stop by Chuckles? Uh, no. As it turns out, no, we did not. You didn't miss much. No, okay. Um, so the guy who booked it uh, is this like, I want to say he's like 85, 90 years old. Okay. And uh, he will book any female sight unseen. Gotcha. Um, meanwhile, I had a friend who had just done Gotham. Yeah. And I was like, hey, he wants to do Chuckles, which is an insane thing to say about yeah. somebody who just was on Comedy Central. And he was like, oh, I don't know. We're kind of booked up for a while. I'll tell him to send me a tape. But if, if he was a she, he'd be like, absolutely. Here's four dates over the next two months. So... She got booked for that. Now, this was a small enough room where like, I headlined pretty regularly. So we ended up on the same show. So she went up. This was her first time doing comedy. And she, she performed. And then... Um, Did she bring the entire audience? No, she, she brought some people. Maybe okay. five to ten, something like that. Okay. So she introduced herself to me. And you know we talked. And then afterwards, she emailed me. How much time did she do? Uh, like 10. That is a lot of time Ton for of time. somebody starting out. So Super out. long time. Yeah. Yeah. How did she do? She did well. Seriously, how did she? She do? no, she she did well. Hey. I mean, for hey, yeah. <laughs> I know you're worried. People are going to hear this. That you know, she 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 sincerely did did fine Pat, for the first time. Yeah, Pat. What for the first time? It was her first time on. I stage. know, I know. So then am I let's supposed go, to be judging her against let's Chris go, Rock? Let's go back. Did she do well? She did well. Yeah, she got laughs. I'm staring you directly in the eyes right now. It's super creepy. For yeah, those you know kids. why? Because you're lying no. to me and yourself. No, okay. I've been very open on this podcast. I know up until this moment. Now I'm questioning <laughs> everything else you've said. <laughs> so she did well. She, okay, sure. It's mother-in-law. Okay, so then yeah, she, she starts emailing you. She did well. So she emailed me after the show and she said, you know, I'm, I'm new. Do you have any advice? And like we corresponded via email. I just, uh, I said, hey, you know, I thought you, I thought you did fine. You know, I, I don't even remember what we said really, but like yeah. we went back and forth and then that, that was it. it lasted for a couple of days. And then a year later we ended up on the same show at the same place. Had she been doing comedy a lot? Uh, I, I don't think a lot. She, she had probably she gotten, gotten up like 20 times. Oh, so she got a little better. Yeah. She was better a second time. Okay. Yeah. So she emails me ahead of time. So she she's said, incredible by now. Oh, she was yeah. so good to begin she, she's with. She's basically Louie yeah. uh, in, a, in a 50-year-old woman's body. Um, so she, uh, she so emailed she, me. She had your wife young then. What's that? How, she sounds like a little younger than I thought. No, I, when I say 50, she was okay. probably more like, like mid-50s. Okay. It's okay. Yeah. So she, she, Semantics. You show up a year later. So she emails me ahead of time and says, I don't know if you remember me. And I said, of course I remember you. Like, yeah, it's going to be great to work together again. Blah, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. So she shows up and this time she brings her daughter with her. So, you know, I didn't even know she had a daughter. So she performed and she, she did well. And then I went up and headlined. And fortunately, I had a really good set. And 
her daughter came up to me after the show and said, hey, I just wanted you to know you were really funny and she was attractive. So I was like, hey, yeah, let's stay. Let's talk and, you know, whatever. And she said, oh, my mom was on the show. And I said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm middling at the comedy club next week. You should come check it out. And they came to that to check it out. And now six plus years later, we're married and have been for a couple of years. I'm glad that you you found a woman that you love and I'm glad it's working out. But Thanks. I cannot think of a more horrible path <laughs> evolutionary wise than comedian mates with other comedians child it just seems genetically like a disaster you know you know, you know what you know what the best one of the best things about my wife is she she's not a comedian and she has no desire to be one that is she's such a civilian a good thing yeah she, she's a teacher she works with uh, special needs children so she dealing with me is like totally easy by comparison yeah, that's yeah. great yeah she's uh she's a completely normal person and uh yeah, I feel like that meshes well. I can't imagine dating another comedian. I, I feel like it would be brutal. Yeah, neither can I. Yeah. But luckily, they can't imagine dating me. <laughs> so it works out for everybody. Right. So Pat Barker, uh, this was a very interesting episode. I feel like we covered a broad range of disparate topics. Uh, we got like a bunch of stuff in. But in the end, happy ending there. So you, you guys are going, you're doing the IVF thing. It, it's super fucking expensive, but yeah, I, we're, I mean, we're, we're saving up now and, uh, there's grants that you can apply for. So we're applying for, for some of the grants and hopefully, you know, we'll maybe get lucky with that. Can you get loans? Is this like college where you like a student loan? I, I, I don't want to have loans. I, I don't disagree. I think that's I, I, I hate debt. You know, yeah. um, if I could buy everything cash in my entire life, I would and never have debt. Having debt makes me extremely uncomfortable. So, well, good. Now I that would, you're a big time TV writer, you'll never be in debt again. Yeah, that's what you're I hear. You're only going to be wealthy from here on out. Right. Yeah. Smooth sailing. I'm proud of you. Tell your <laughs> wife, quit all of her jobs. Leave those, <laughs> leave those special needs kids by the side of the road. Oh, boy. It's all good from here. Yeah, fingers crossed. So any given Wednesday, that premieres June 22nd? June 22nd, 10 o'clock. From the billboards, yes, this is a good thing. It's nice to be associated with. Uh, are people excited when they hear you work with Bill Simmons? Yeah, I, a lot of people. I, I almost didn't realize how far-reaching he was. Well, um, all sports fans. I mean, yeah. and sports are a huge industry. Big. In America. Yeah. I mean, it's you could argue it's a bubble. Yeah, no, definitely. And pe- yeah, people are, are super excited about it. And um you know, the more they air the same commercial over and over on HBO, the more people are, are starting to get sick of it. So I can't wait for the first episode to, to get out there. Oh, I don't. Do you have HBO? Uh, we Yeah, we do. Dude, piracy. Just everything. You just pirate it. I, I am a very law-abiding citizen. It's not illegal. It's really? Not, well, what the fuck do I care? It's just <laughs> so effective. It's fucking awesome. We're going to introduce you to something called news groups. Uh-huh. We're going to help you pirate for $30 a month. You can have all the TV in the world. And I know you're saying, David, HBO pays me. You mean nothing to them. You pirate it. <laughs> Do they get you a deal on the subscription? No. Um, you know what? I'm I haven't gonna, asked. Maybe they would. I, I, I don't know. I, we're going to teach you fucking computer piracy. It's uh, so easy. Okay. I know I put you out of work, but still... <laughs> If HBO's listening, I pay and I intend Nobody's to keep Nobody's listening to this. Okay. That's the joy of this podcast. <laughs> what is your Twitter account? Uh, at Pat Barker Comedy. Okay. Pat Barker Comedy. And do you have an Instagram or anything else? Everything's Pat Barker Comedy. Do you have anything you want to promote other than your big time television show? No. You son che- of a yeah, bitch. Check, out, check out the show on June 22nd. Oh, and I will be... Uh, I'll be roast battling again, June 28th. Who are you roast battling? I'm going against Keith Carey. 
Okay. Um, and uh, Ooh, I, yeah, that's he's he's particularly vicious. So if if this appetite, if this episode whetted your appetite to hear really mean things said about me and my loved ones, come out June twenty eighth because that will probably happen. I feel like your baby will turn over in its jar. Oh dear God, David, we we, we made it so far without that. <laughs> and now, and now we're gonna close. Pat Barker, thank you so much. That was Pat Barker. Go see him at the roast battle. I'm David Taylor, and this has been Until I Lose Interest.